All righties, Gordon, let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now, if you were uh, with us last Sunday, then you know that we have just finished our sermon series covering the life of David, which was an absolutely incredible time together that we were able to uh, enjoy, and where we looked at David's example, we looked at David's life, looked at his example of worship, and we sought to apply that example of worship to our own lives, to our own uh, way of living, so that our worship could be all the more true, so that we could live all the more faithful and all the more honoring to God. Now, the reason that we had that focus as we covered the life of David is because we have recently, as a church, released what our church uh, mission statement is. The mission statement, which says that East Gordon, our mission is to train others to live for the glory of God as presented to us in the Bible. Which basically means that we as a church, our church body, our goal, our focus, our mission is to be a church that worships God in all that we do. So in our Sunday morning service, we want it to be for the glory of God. Our Sunday night table talk that we're doing in the fellowship hall, we're doing that for the glory of God. The way that we do Wednesday night stuff, that's for the glory of God. When we do outreach, when we do mission project, uh, projects, how we are when visitors are here, and the list goes on and on and on and on, all of it, we want to be a church that does that for the glory of God because He is a God that is worthy of that. We want to worship God in all that we do here. Not just in the church, but in our lifestyles as well. Now, in order to do that, we need to have an understanding about wor what worship actually is. If, we, if, we, if that's what we want to do, if we want to be a church for the glory of God, we need to know what worship is about. So we went through the life of David focusing on worship focusing on the lessons of worship which can be applied to our lives. And now as we come to Philippians, the book of, of Philippians in the New Testament, we carry on with that mission, carry on with that focus of looking at worship as it is described in the book of Philippians. So let's get started with our new sermon series, Philippians, the Epistle of Joy, starting with the first two verses of the first chapter says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God, Solidea Gloria, for the reading of his word today. So let's set the scene here. Let, let's talk about some background information, some history about, what, about the actual city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. Not only that, it was an important, a prominent Roman colony in eastern Macedonia. The land itself uh, was very fertile, uh, largely because it was located uh, very closely to a, a, a fast-flowing, uh, deep, uh, 
a stream that provided a lot of nourishment to uh, the land. Now, one of the main reasons as to why the city of Philippi was so important was because that it was actually located, or excuse me, the, the, the ancient Roman road known as the Via Ignatia or Ignatia uh, actually ran through the center of, of the city. So uh, this, this city, the Via, the, or excuse me, this road, the Via Ignatia, it was this road that was uh, meant to connect the Macedonian side of the Roman Empire to the rest of the empire. That's what the road was uh, for. Uh, it was a means of keeping the empire connected with itself. So the, the city of Rome, the, the heart of the empire, it's here, and then Philippi would have been over here. This road was how the, uh, the empire ma maintained its connection with itself. Now, because of that, because this road was right there in the middle of, of Philippi, that meant that, or excuse me, uh, be, be, due to the nature of this road, all of the colonies, all the Roman colonies that were on the road they received a lot of traffic, the city of Philippi being uh, one of them. Now, Philippi itself was made up of a few different things. There were various shops, various places that you could purchase uh, uh, various goods. There was a theater. There was a, a large forum, a Roman forum. And there were city gates. So it was, it was walled. There was a walled city and uh, city gates around it. A, a, a cemetery was in this city, a prison was in the city, as well as various shrines and temples to pagan gods. Remember, this is the Roman Empire. Roman Empire basically had a law that said that there are legal religions and there are illegal religions. A legal religion was a religion that came about from a, uh, a nation. So Judaism would have been a legal religion. But an illegal religion was something that had just kind of sprouted and doesn't really have a national history, such as that of Christianity. Christianity is not tied to any one nation. Christianity is not tied to any one people group. Christianity is the message of salvation for the whole people of the world. And when the Roman Empire saw that this was not a national religion, when they saw Christianity not being one of the religions that they authorized or, or they were okay with, it naturally followed that there was going to be a lot of persecution towards Christianity. Now, here's the thing about Philippi. They had all of these pagan religions, all these different shrines. One of the most notable ones was the Harun shrine. It basically was the idea that uh, they were to worship or to celebrate or to praise, give homage, some kind of, uh, something along those lines at least, of those who were Roman soldiers who had fallen in battle. So if, if a Roman soldier fell in battle, they had this belief, not everyone, but many of them did, uh, a certain, uh, they certainly believed it at Philippi in light that they had the Herod Shrine there. They believed that if the, a Roman soldier fell in battle, they should be venerated, they should be worshipped, they should be honored in some kind of uh, way. There was also, in light of that, uh, we don't know the full details of this, but it's also very likely that uh, there were a lot of, of retired or veteran Roman soldiers, Roman centurions, who made up the population of the city of Philippi. 
We don't know how, to what percentage that was. We, we just don't have that information, but we do know that there was a population of retired Roman soldiers who lived in the city of Philippi. One, one more thing, there was, it's very, very likely that there was also the practice of the imperial cult in the city of Philippi as well. If you don't know what the imperial cult was, it was basically a Roman religion or, or a, a cult that started in the midst of the Roman Empire that believed that the emperor himself was God. And therefore, the followers worshipped the emperor as though he was God. So bear, put all of this into the context. Philippi was a city that really loved the Roman Empire. That wanted to be a that was a Roman colony, and they took that seriously, and they worshipped the emperor. At least a, a portion of them did, and others actually worshipped the uh, fallen Roman soldiers who had who had uh, died in the midst of war, battle, whatever the case may have been. And you're a Christian living in Philippi, and it's illegal to be Christian. You got all these retired Roman soldiers there. You got these people who are fanatics for the emperor. Philippi wasn't where you wanted to be. There was a lot of danger there. But at the same time, it was an incredible, incredible place. Philippi had, had a lot going on. Now, I, I want to encourage you, to uh, not, not right now, but uh, perhaps today, perhaps whenever you're able to, go to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40. Acts chapter 16 verses 6 through 40 and there you will find the story of how the first time that Paul visits the city of Philippi and how the church itself was planted. That's Acts chapter 16 verses 6 through 40. I'm going to try to summarize that story as quickly as I, as I can. Um, so the story goes that Paul as well as notably Timothy and Silas uh, perhaps a few others as, as well, they arrive in the city of Philippi, and as they go, as they enter into the city, they, they look for a place where there, were, there was a hub of Jews, and typically that would be in a synagogue. Where, well, there wasn't a synagogue in the city of Philippi. So instead, there was a population of Jews there, and they would meet outside of the city walls, gather together, and would pray with one another there. So Paul, Timothy, Silas, whoever else is with him as well, they went out to the Jews, went out to this place of prayer, and they began talking to all these people who were there. Paul begins to preach there as well. There's a, 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 as the book of Acts describes, there's a lot of women who are, who are there. And Paul is talking to this one woman, a lady by the name of Lydia. And hearing Paul uh, preach, hearing Paul talk about the gospel and the message of salvation, which has been given unto us by God and through Christ and Christ alone, she comes to faith after hearing him, after talking to him. She's then baptized, and apparently her entire family got, uh, came to faith as well because her whole family gets baptized as well. It's an incredible, incredible uh, moment. And then she, uh, Lydia then turns to Paul and says, uh, you don't have a place to stay here. Uh, come to my house. Come to and stay with me, my husband, my family. Come stay with us. We would love to host you as you're in our city. So Paul and Silas, Timothy and the others, they agree to that, and they go and stay with Lydia. 
then the next day. Like, the, yesterday was amazing. People are coming to faith. Uh, Lydia and her entire family are baptized. It's amazing what happened yesterday. Then this next day, Paul's going down to the same place again where all the, the, the people were gathering to pray outside the city walls. He's going back there again, and as he's going, all of a sudden there is this, this slave girl, this girl who is a slave, and she is a demon-possessed girl, and she stands in opposition to what she tries to stop, she tries to distract to, to, to uh, curse, whatever. She's trying to stand in opposition to the work of, of God. It's so amazing to me how when you see God doing an incredible, amazing, uh, a, a celebratory, worshipful, glorifying thing, when you see God move in such an incredible way, it doesn't take long for this enemy to stand in opposition does not take long at all. But here's the amazing thing. Praise God. Because we serve a God who is sovereign and in the midst of whatever opposition there may be towards the work of God, that opposition cannot stand before His presence because we serve a sovereign God. We serve an almighty God and there is none who can stop what He is doing. So whatever God wills is going to take place. So Paul is there uh, in the midst of having this, well, not conversation, but in the midst of the, the, the demon-possessed girl uh, trying to challenge him, trying to stand in his way. This lasts for several days, by the way. This isn't just a single occurrence. It happens, several, uh, it happens for several days. And Paul then casts out this demon from the girl. And here's the crazy part of it. The slave owners, the, 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 the people who own the girl, they get mad about it. Like Paul has just uh, rescued, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has just rescued this girl from being oppressed by a demon, and the slave owners are upset about it. And so what do they do? They have Paul and Silas specifically sent to prison. They drag him, bring him before the, the, the authorities of, of Philippi, and they are placed in prison. And it is amazing what happens next. Paul and Silas, they're in prison, and yet they're not in despair, but instead they're celebrating God. They're in chains. They're shackled to the wall, and they're worshiping God. It says that they begin singing hymns and begin praying. They are worshiping as a time of, of worship, and then in the midst of them praising, in the midst of them praying and celebrating and worshiping God, all of a sudden God sends an earthquake to the, uh, to the city of Philippi, an earthquake which causes the, the, the jail, the prison, the doors to open, the shackles to be, uh, to be opened, and all of a sudden all the prisoners who are in the jail, they're free now. And when the jailer, the Philippian jailer, he finds out about it, he looks in there, he sees that, that oh my gosh, my, my, all of the prisoners, the, the whole jail, it's open, the, 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 the logs are open, I, I, I'm, I'm in trouble. So the jailer, he says, I don't want to get into any trouble by the Roman officials, so what does he do? He pulls out his sword, and he's about to kill himself, because he doesn't want to face the punishment of the Roman Empire. 
Paul's there. Paul sees what he's about to do. And Paul says, hey, wait, stop. No, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. We're all in here. None of the prisoners have left. We're all still in here. And then Paul go, rushes over to him and begins to share and preach the gospel to the Philippian jailer. And the jailer, he drops his sword. And you, you just picture the scene. Paul uh, preaching the gospel of grace and salvation in Christ and Christ alone to the Philippian jailer. And he comes to saving faith. And then apparently, and he's baptized as well. And then his whole family, they come to faith as well. And they're all baptized too. Like that's how, and thus the, the, the church at Philippi was planted. Planted from a woman who came to faith in Christ and a Philippian jailer who came to faith in Christ and their families as well. Didn't start out big, didn't start out grand. Started out with common people, people who were just living their lives, and all of a sudden God got a hold of them and shared the message of salvation with them, and they came to faith in Christ and Christ alone. Absolutely amazing how our God accomplishes His purposes. Now, when Paul is writing this letter, it's years later. Years later, from the moment, from the from the time period when Paul arrives at Philippi, and the time period to when he writes the the, the letter which we are reading this morning, several years are there's a several year divide between these two events. In the midst of it, um, he is actually when he writes this letter, he's actually imprisoned at Rome, within the capital of the empire. And if you know the story of Paul, you know that Paul doesn't leave Rome alive. He is actually, in the last few years of his life, sitting in, a Ro in the Roman prison, writing this letter to the Philippians. And yet, he's not in despair. And you'll find that out as we go through this book. He's, he's full and filled with joy the joy of the Lord. Now, between these years that the church is planted and Paul is, is writing this letter, the Philippian church has grown uh, to a certain extent, and this church has been a continual uh, church of support of Paul. So when Paul is on his missionary journeys, the Philippian church, they were always supporting him, and when I mean supporting him, financially supporting him so that he was able to do what he was able to do. The Philippian church was always a church that did that for him. This church loved Paul, and Paul loved the Philippian church. There, there was a familiarity that was shared between them, a love that was uh, shared between them. So when the church at Philippi heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, they gathered together, we need to write to him, we need to write a letter, make sure he's doing okay, see what's going on, what can we do, how can we help? And they actually, not only did they write a letter to Paul, they actually provide him with a gift as well. We don't know the extent of what the gift was, but they, they send a letter and they send a gift to Paul while he is in prison as, as well. Now, it, as, as we uh, come to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians is essentially... Paul responding to the letter that was sent to him by the Philippian church. So what we're reading is Paul, it's his reply, basically. 
It's him writing them back from when they wrote to him. So let's, let's, let's understand a few things. Paul's in prison, and the Philippian church is facing persecution now. They were worried about persecution a while ago, but now they are facing persecution. So Paul's in prison, the church is facing persecution, and Paul, and this is what Paul says to them in this letter, and we'll see this as we go through it. But here's the, 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 the essential idea, the main focus of this book, the main idea that Paul wants the Philippian church to know. He says to him, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say to you, rejoice, for the Lord is near. How unbelievable is that? that they are both in a bad situation. Paul's in a bad situation. He's not getting out of this one alive. He's going to be in prison, and he's going to be executed. The Philippian church is being persecuted by the Roman Empire. They're both in bad situations, and yet Paul is not complaining. He's not in a bad, he's not, he's not uh, uh, in grief. He's not upset. Of course, he's dealing with the midst of it, but he's not, he's not ignoring the problem. But the thing is, is that he's not capitalizing upon the problem. Instead, he's saying, in the midst of this, in the midst of what I'm going through, in the midst of what you're going through, worship God, because God is bigger than this problem. And God is bigger than the problem that you're going through in your life right now, whatever it may be, be it a small thing, a big thing, a life-altering thing, a medical thing, a financial thing, a family thing, whatever it is, God is bigger than it. So the thing that we need to do in the midst of life situations is the same thing that Paul did in the Philippian and the same thing that he tells the Philippian church to do is to go to God and rejoice in the Lord. To worship our God because our God is bigger than what's going on in our lives. That is the heart of the message of the book of Philippians. To rejoice in the Lord. <clears throat> now, let's consider these opening two verses. Opening lines of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Now, right at the start, you may, and maybe you don't, but, may, but there, there is something interesting right here, right in this open. It's not even a sentence yet. It's just right, right there at the beginning of this letter, we find something very interesting. Paul's letters, and there's several of them in the New Testament. In fact, much of the New Testament is comprised of Paul's letters. And you, there's usually a commonality, a common denominator between how the, uh, all the letters start off, there's a, uh, how they begin. There's this greeting. And Paul, typically, there's a few examples where he doesn't, Philippians being one of them, but he typically always identifies himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. You don't see that right here. He's not, he doesn't identify himself as an apostle. Why is that? And that, what, what we understand from this is Paul was so familiar, and this church was so familiar with him, that he didn't have to identify who he was. 
they knew who he was. They knew that he was the apostle, that, that he was a, an apostle at least. They, they knew who he was. They were familiar with him. There was a close relationship that was enjoyed uh, between them. Take, take me, for example. When I come up to speak to you, I don't say Thomas Rhodes, pastor of East Florida. I don't, I don't have to do that. You know who I am. You're familiar with me. I don't have to uh, tell you that I'm your pastor. You know that I'm your pastor. Same kind of thing is happening here uh, with Paul. They, they know who he was. They are familiar with him. Now, while Paul does not identify himself as an apostle, he does identify himself, as well as Timothy, who is there with him as, he, as he's writing this letter, he does identify himself in another way. He calls himself a servant. He calls himself a slave. Now, during the Roman Empire, many people were slaves, and there were basically two major ways in which someone uh, could have become a slave. One, uh, and this may be perhaps the most notable way, was through war. So the Roman Empire would be at war with a, with a particular people group, whatever the case may be, and if they lost, which they often, which the opposing side typically always lost to the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was elite military. They knew what they were doing. So the losing side would oftentimes be, become slaves. That's how it typically worked. And then there was another way that you could become a slave. You could sell yourself into slavery. Now, the reason that people did this, and this was very common during the Roman Empire, was because they had mishandled their money, and they mismanaged their, their, uh, their uh, funds, and the resulting factor was that they were now in some kind of debt. And in order to pay back the debt, they would sell themselves into slavery to the person that they owed money. That was very common practice during that particular period of time. Slavery was common. But either way, however you came into slavery, slavery was not something that you wanted to be in. Because here's the thing about slavery during this period of time. It meant that you had forfeited your desires for life. You had forfeited your agenda, your plans, what it was that you wanted to do in life. You were not longer able to do that, but instead you had to do whatever your master said. You had to follow his desires. You had to follow his agenda. You could not do, you could not think for yourself. You could not care for your family the way that you saw fit. You had to do what your master said. Not a thing you wanted to do. Not a thing you wanted to experience. And yet, it's the term servant or slave that Paul uses to describe himself and Timothy. And he does it proudly. He does it unashamedly. He calls himself a servant and a slave joyfully because what Paul is doing here in this, in this just first few lines of the book of Philippians is just celebrating the gospel. He's saying, I'm not, <coughs> excuse me, I'm not out here living in, in, in accord to what my sinful, selfish desires are or my pursuits are. I'm not living based on what I want to do. I'm living according to the will of God. 
through Christ my Savior, I've had, I have been redeemed. I'm no longer a slave to my sin. I've been set free. I am a servant of the Most High God. And I'm here to tell you about it. I'm here to celebrate that. I'm here to celebrate the gift of the gospel in, in my life. And because of Jesus, I can live for the will of God. And what a glorious thing that is. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I am a servant of Christ. See, sometimes we think obedience to God is a negative thing. We think it's not the, the, the uh, okay, I got to do the right thing here. I'm, I'm going out of my way. I'm doing the right thing. It's, it's not the thing I want to do, but I know it's the right thing, and so I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And we have a negative connotation to that. Paul does not have a negative connotation or a negative tone when he talks about Christian obedience. He's saying that it is worth celebrating, that it is something amazing, that I'm no longer a slave to myself, but I'm a servant of Christ the Most High. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Then Paul explains who the letter is addressed to. And he names uh, three different groups. He says the saints at Philippi. So that would be the church, the congregation, the body of believers there at Philippi. And he says the overseers. Now overseers, uh, elders, shepherd, pastor, however you want to phrase it, all of those terms are synonymous with one another. He's talking about the, pa the pastors of the church. Okay, that's what, that's what he's referring to when it says overseers. And then he says the deacons, those who uh, serve within the church. Now, why does he? Why do you think he addresses all three of these groups? Because he's talking about the church, the church body, the congregation. He talks about the pastors, and then he talks about the deacons. One really simple reason is why he addresses all three. This message of rejoicing in the Lord of worshiping God is for everyone in the church. And it is important to realize that. East Gordon, I am your pastor. And as your pastor, it is my responsibility to lead you. It is my responsibility to take care of you spiritually, to protect you from spiritual dangers. That's what my job is. I'm supposed to see to it that you are growing in your faith and that your soul is being nourished by the gospel and through the preaching of, of the word. I'm here to defend you. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to see that you grow. But I cannot do that if worship is not my focus. And if I try to do it without worship being my focus, then our church could be hurt. Worship has to be my focus. Deacons, your job is to serve. To serve the needs of our church, our church family, uh, our church body, particularly that of the needs of the widows. But if you try to do that without the joy of the Lord, then our church could be hurt. Church members, you are here to serve alongside one another as the body of Christ, serving in different ways, and some in, in, in subtle ways, some in large ways, whatever the case, you're here to serve alongside one another in different ways as the body of Christ. But if you try to do that without worshiping your goal and your focus, then our church can be hurt.
if it isn't about, if, if what we are trying to do as a church is not about worship, then we're not really doing much at all. We are to be a church of worship. Worship is what the Christian life is all about. Whether you are new to the faith, old in the faith, in the middle of your faith, whatever it is, wherever you are in your walk with God, your goal, your focus should be that of worship. And that is what we shall be learning, and that is what we shall be focusing on, and that is what we shall be learning to exemplify and carry out with our, with our daily lives as we go through Philippians, the epistle. We pray, we have our hymn of invitation. Father, it is our prayer that you, by the grace of your Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us into all things, that you show us the way that you would have us go. And more importantly, Lord, Lord, we pray that you teach us to be a people of worship. Teach us the importance of your glory. That you are a God who is worthy to be worshipped. You are a God who is worthy of all praise. You are a God who is worthy of all honor. So teach us to be that people. By the through the teaching of your word, through the grace of your Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the, of the Spirit, Lord, teach us and show us and convict us and, 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 and encourage us to be a people of worship. Because you are worthy of that. Lord, preserve me to be a pastor that focuses on worship. Be with our deacons as they serve to be a service of worship. Be with our church body as we seek to be a people of worship as we are the body of Christ for your glory and your glory alone. So Lord, by the grace of your Holy Spirit, may we grow into who you created us to be for your glory and your praise. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for our church body. We thank you and we praise you that we are able to say that you are our Father and we are your children. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.